1 uh, Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is the second part of one sermon um, that I'm going to preach over three gatherings called Unthinkable. Uh, the Unthinkable, that's a beautiful graphic, I know. Um, Lynn Fleshman did it, it's great. Um, the Unthinkable. Um, and the thought behind this sermon, this long sermon is, what did Jesus do when he did what he did? Um, last week I talked about the thing that he did, did, was um, he became flesh. That's what he did. So the question I want to ask last week, today, and on Friday is, what did he do when he did that? Um, last week we talked about how Jesus, when he did that, he gave us knowledge of God, and this week we're going to move on. Um, so First Timothy chapter 2, stand once you're there. The specific verse I'm going to read from is verse 5, but I'm going to read verses... Um, three to six to you. I think we only have verse five on the screen. Um, Starting in verse three. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. I'm going to preach from verse five. For there is one God, And there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you're here among us. We recognize you. We turn our attention to you. We're here to receive from you. Show us yourself. Give us you. Amen. You You can be seated. Um, so you know, um, that real good fine feeling when you're on your way home and you're you're getting yourself pumped up to uh cook dinner you're getting real jazzed uh and you walk into the house and lo and behold someone else has already gotten dinner together for you so instead of working to get dinner all got together you you just sit down and enjoy it you know that good feeling yeah. uh, someone in the last meeting they they shook their head and they're like no nah, i'm the only one that cooks in my house <laughs> Or, or, or that feeling where you know, all right, I'm on my way home and I gotta get this house together. I gotta clean. Um, so you're getting yourself pumped up to clean and, and you walk in the house and lo and behold, someone has cleaned the house for you. So instead of, so instead of getting the house together, you can just sit down and enjoy the house that somebody else got together. That's a good feeling. Praise God. You, 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 you realize that I don't gotta work. I don't have to get it together. I can just sit down and enjoy what somebody else got together. Um, by the end of this, I want to convince you that you don't have to get it together. You can just enjoy what Jesus got together for you. Um, actually, help me preach this. This is going to be the title. He got it together for me. Uh, uh, um, say it to someone next to you. He got it together for you. Say, say it to someone else. He got it together for you. Live stream. He got it together for you. Uh, what, what did he do when he did what he did? He got it together for me. Jeron, um, what is the it that he got together? Jeron, how did he get it together? I'm glad you asked, friend. Um, let's jump into this text and we'll get that answer. Paul, he starts off and he says, there is one God. There is one God. There is one God. On the surface, this seems as if Paul is making an assertion that there's only one God, which, yes, is true. There's only one God. We we might make God out of many other things, but there's only one legitimate God. But what Paul's doing in context of this is he's using this statement, there is one God, as the basis 
for an argument that this one God desires all to be in relationship with him. So here's the thought process. There's one God. He's God overall. Therefore, he desires all to be saved or come into relationship with him. He's the only God who humans can have a legitimate relationship with. He's the one God. So, so there's only one Hackett's in Joplin. Um, I think, I, I think there's only one Hackett's hot wings in the world. Um, some of us in Joplin, we're close to Hackett's. There are people over in Timbuktu, if that's actually a real place, that have no clue that Hackett's exist, and they're far from Hackett's. Regardless of whether you acknowledge Hackett's or not, everyone is in some sort of relation to Hackett's. Some people are close to Hackett's, some people are far from Hackett's. Uh, uh, in a greater sense, it's kind of the same way with God. I'm not comparing God to Hackett's, but taste and see that Hackett's is good. That's the Bible. Um, uh it's drawn back on track. Those Cajun wings. Um, <laughs> there's only one God. And regardless of whether people acknowledge him or not, everyone's in some relation to him. Some are close to him in relationship with him. Some are far from him, not in relationship with him. It doesn't matter if they acknowledge it or not. They're in some sort of relation to him. Listen, Christian. Listen, Christian. Listen, Christian. This is why you can't cave to this tribalistic culture we're in. Because there's one God overall. We, the, the sway of society right now is to put everybody in their own camp. We've got the, the woke camp, and we've got the patriot camp, and we've got the white camp, and we've got the minority camp, and we've got the poor camp, and we've got the rich camp. And it, you just stay in your camps, you listen to your own news station, you, you listen to your own music, you do your own thing. But listen, we can't cave to that. Because there are no legitimate tribal gods over every camp. We, we can't dismiss this crew to their own God to save them. It doesn't exist. There's only one God overall. So we have to have a sense of urgency for all and a care for all and a pray for all and to share Jesus with all because our one God desires all to come and know him. So, so, so God wants everyone all to be in relationship with him. Then Paul pushes it and he tells us how people come into relationship with them. He says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He says, Jesus is the one mediator between God and humanity. You know what a mediator is? So you know that song. Um, it takes two things to make, it takes two to make things go right. It takes two to make it out of sight. Y'all gonna make me rap? I wanna rock right now. I'm Jerron and I came to get down. I'm not internationally known. I know the whole verse. This is the first song I learned. I memorized. My grandmother hated it. Um, a, a mediator is the go-between between the two that helps them make things go right. A, a mediator is a go-between who, who restores relationship between two people. So Paul's saying Jesus is the mediator who goes between God and humanity and restores relationship between man and God. And I heard someone say that the thing that qualifies a mediator to be a mediator is that they have some sort of relationship to both parties. That's what qualifies Jesus to be the mediator between man and God. Because not only does he have a relationship to God, he is God. Not only does he have a relationship with humanity, he is humanity. As God, he reconciles God to humanity. As humanity, he reconciles humanity to God. There's one mediator. I'm going to talk about this later, but the thrust of this passage is nuanced to focus on Jesus mediating humanity to God. So when Paul says there's one mediator between man and God, he's saying Jesus is the only one. 
who can give you relationship with God. I'm going to say this and I'm going to say it over and over again. God is not exclusive. He's specific. There, there are a whole bunch of public places. Walmart, for instance, just about anyone can walk into Walmart. You don't go into Walmart anyway. There's a door. They said you come in here through. Just about anyone can go into Casey's. You don't, my spiritual music came on in the background. <laughs> you, you, you don't, you don't just walk into Casey's any way you want. There's a specific door you gotta come. They're not exclusive. They're specific. God says, I want all to come to me. I want all to be in relationship with me, but you don't get into relationship with me just any way. Jesus in John 10 says, I'm the door. He's not exclusive. He's specific. He's the only way to come into relationship with God. Listen, some of you, as you're navigating life through this society, you'll, you'll hear things and you'll, you'll get the impression that there are the other things not named Jesus that I have to do to get good status with God. Some, some of you will catch the impression that, that I've got to attain moral high ground over just about everyone I know, and then I'll be in good status with God. So, some, some of you will hear around these parts of the Midwest, I've got to fulfill some sort of sense of duty that I've inherited from my parents. And, and once I fulfill that sense of duty, then I'll gain status with God. Listen, you need Jesus. There ain't no other way for you to come into relationship with God. Christians, as we're counseling people who we know needs Jesus, Jesus is the only thing we can propose to people as a real solution for life with God. If we're not careful, we'll have a picture of a model citizen or or this is what it means to be a model Christian. And once you get yourself to fit that picture, then you'll be good with God. If we're not careful, oh, this is the worst for those of us who are who who, who are well off financially, who who know where our meals are coming from. Because we'll engage with someone who has less than us financially. And if we're not careful, we'll mess around and make them think they have to match our tax bracket and our lifestyle to be good with God. Jesus is the only thing we propose to him. There's only one way for us to come into relationship with God. It's Jesus. There's only one person who mediates man and God. It's Jesus. There's only one person who gets our life together with God. It's, It's Jesus. Drum, what is the it that Jesus got together for me? It's your life with God. Jesus got your life with God together for you. So, so if Jesus got your life together with God together for you, how does he do it? Right, write this one down. Write this one down. He represents and incorporates us. Jesus gets our life with God together for us by representing you and incorporating you. So there's a good chance Paul got this concept of mediator from the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the primary mediators were the priests. And one of the priests' primary way of mediating for people was the priests would go to God for the nation. The priests would offer a sacrifice for the nation. The priests would pray prayers for the nation. And God would accept the priest's prayers and sacrifices as the prayers and sacrifices of the people. The priests represented the people before God. So when Paul calls Jesus a mediator, he's saying Jesus represents humanity before God. How does he do that? That, That's in this phrase. Paul says there's one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. There's one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus. That's not a statement where Paul's communicating Jesus' sexuality or gender per se. That's a statement where Paul is communicating Jesus' humanity. He's saying the human Jesus. 
There are two commentators I read this week, and I agree that when Paul points out Jesus' humanity, they're, they're locating Jesus' representative work within his humanity. Per se, how Jesus represents us, Jesus represented humanity by becoming a human. So, so, so look at what these guys, um, John Clark and Marcus Peter Johnson said. Um, they said, just as surely as Christ humanly mediates God to men in and as man, Therefore, he humanly mediates men to God in like manner. Assuming our humanity, body and soul alike, the man Christ Jesus personally lives and acts in our place and on our behalf. All Christ is and does as our incarnate Savior, he is and does for us. That is, in solidarity with us and is one of us. Consequently, all that he renders or gives to the Father in our humanity as our mediator, he renders as ours. Stating the matter clearly and concisely, Christ works out our salvation within the constitution of his own, I love this phrase, vicarious humanity. To speak of the vicarious humanity of Christ is thus to say that he assumed our humanity and made it his own in order to be for us whom we could not and would not be and to do for us what we could not and would not do. Paul said that these guys said, Jesus, Jesus became like you and did what you couldn't do for you and do what you wouldn't do for you. He represented you. So, so what does it look like for Jesus to represent us? That's in verse six, where Paul says, there's one meteor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for us. He died for you, but he didn't just die for you. Um, these two guys, they go on and they say this. Most modern evangelicals understand Christ's crucifixion in vicarious terms, meaning we, we understand that Christ represented us in his death. Yet many modern evangelicals fail to understand that Christ's assumption of our humanity was the grand and glorious reality whereby he became the one who is and acts vicariously for us from his incarnation, that's his birth thereafter, undertaking one comprehensive work of redemption that includes his birth, baptism, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and his ongoing ministry at the Father's right hand. They're saying, Jesus' whole humanity is for you. Jesus' whole humanity is representing, is representing you even right now. And he not only represents you, but he, he incorporates us into what he did so we can enjoy the benefits of that. Look at what John Calvin says. This is the last quote I promised. Um, first, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, All that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. Therefore, to share in what he has received from the Father, he had to become ours and to dwell within us. For, as I have said, all that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. He says the way we benefit from what Jesus did is by Jesus joining us or uniting him to himself. That's why the New Testament, just do a study of the New Testament and look at all of the times it talks about us and it back ends that statement by saying in him or in Jesus or in Christ. Uh, Ephesians, uh, praise be to God for he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in him. He redeemed us in him. He justified us in him. He saved us in him. He's sanctifying us in him. It's all as we're joined or incorporated into Jesus. He represents us and he incorporates us. Listen, let me give you a PSA. Your whole Christian life is nothing less than participation in what Jesus did for you. 
I did a prayer series in January. I don't know if some, yeah, I don't know, maybe you do remember it. Um, flatter me and lie to me if you do. Um, I did a prayer series in January called uh, It's More Than Me. And the thought behind it was your prayer life is more than you. It's started by Jesus, it's sustained by Jesus, and it's finished by Jesus. I want, I want to expand that and say your Christian life is more than you. It wasn't started by you, it was started by Jesus. It's not sustained by you, it's sustained by Jesus. It's not going to be finished by you, it's finished by Jesus. You're participating in what he did for you. It's more than you. Let, let me give you six stops in Jesus' humanity that constitute the Christian life. Um, write these down, they're going to be in the uh, slides. Number one, Jesus was born for you. So you remember the Christmas story. This is what we're all here to celebrate, that the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a baby, but no dude's going to be involved. The Holy Spirit's going to birth the baby. Jesus, Jesus, he was born by the Spirit. Uh, You know how the Bible talks about the beginning of the Christian life? Being born by the Spirit. What, What happened is Jesus, who himself was born by the Spirit, got a hold of you, joined you to himself. The Spirit got inside of you and rebirthed you in the same kind of way. He was born for you. You know the power of God? You were minding your business the day before you got saved. You weren't thinking about it. You were chilling. And then one day Jesus got a hold of you and made you new. That's the power of God in your He was born for you. He was baptized for you. You remember when Jesus went down to the river and got baptized by his cousin John? Do you know, do you, do you know, or maybe some of you remember what they called John's baptism. They called John's baptism the baptism for the forgiveness and repentance of sins. What sin is Jesus needing forgiveness for and needing to repent from? Friend, Jesus got baptized for the forgiveness and repentance of sins for you. Jesus offered God a repentance that he didn't need to give himself. He offered God a repentance on your behalf. And your first repentance and all repentances after are nothing uh, less than being joined into Jesus dedicating himself to God at the uh, Jordan River. Repentance is only effective because you're joined to Jesus. He he, he was baptized for you. Um, He lived obediently for you. We all know Jesus lived perfectly according to God's righteous standards. Um, this is a, a, a Romans that now because Jesus lived perfect according to God's standards and he joined you to himself, God acts towards you as if you lived perfect according to his standards. And not only that, Jesus, he, he, he further joined you into that obedience by, by causing you to live obedient as well. Jesus makes you obedient by joining you to himself who was obedient. Um, he died for you. This is Romans chapter six. We know that Jesus died on Easter, Easter on Good Friday. Um, Paul in Romans six says that because Jesus died, we no longer have to pay this sin debt. It's as if we had died the death we should have died. Not only that, Paul says your sin dominated self died on that cross with Jesus. You're not dominated by sin anymore. You're not stuck in sin anymore. Listen, you're not fighting for freedom from sin. You're fight, you're living, learning to live in the freedom that Jesus gave us. That's why Paul says, consider yourself dead to it. You're already free. Not, not only that, he got up for you. He rose for you. This is Romans chapter eight. It says, since we've risen with Christ, we've risen to a newness of life, a, a new self and a new life with God and a new way of living. Listen, you better stop trying to make your life better. You better live in that newness Jesus gave you. 
And then he, 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 he ascended for you. Forty days after he rose, he climbed the stairway into heaven, sat next down to the Father in heaven. And Paul says, we're seated with him in heavenly places. Right next to the Father. I don't care how close to God you don't feel. Don't you ever forget how close to God you actually are. You're right next to him. When your emotions agree or not, you're right next to him. Every prayer you pray, every song you sing, every word you get is not from a distance. It's from right there at his side. You're always close to God. This whole Christian life is summed up in Jesus living for you, doing what you can't do for yourself and pulling you into it so you can experience it for yourself. So um, a friend back in Lawton, um, uh, uh, wait, nope, wrong story. Um, let me tell you about the time I, uh, if you ever wonder how I preach without notes, I, yeah, I do forget sometimes. Um, let me tell you about this story. Uh, first high school, first dance I ever went to um, in the fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade, somewhere in between there. A little bit young to be going to a dance, but I'm me. I do what I want. Um, so, so I'm at this dance and um, I walk in and uh, Usher, uh, yeah, that song, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was playing. Um, and as the song's playing and the lights are flashing, I look over and I see this girl. Immediately, I was like, that's my soulmate. Um, <laughs> I was wrong because obviously I'm married to somebody else. Um, this is in West Virginia. Um, I was like, that's my soulmate. And I was like, Jerron, that's your girl. You know what you got to do. And I was like, you're right, Jerron. You got to go talk to her. And I was like, all right, Jerron, go talk to her. It, but then some of y'all will resonate with this. Um, my palms got sweaty. My knees got weak and my arms got heavy. Uh, there was vomit on my sweater already. It was my mother's spaghetti. I was, I was nervous, but on the surface I looked calm and ready to drop bombs. But I, I kept on forgetting. Everything I planned to say to her, I couldn't do it. And so as I'm sitting here looking at my soulmate from a distance, this other girl who we'll call my lifesaver looks over at me, sees me staring at my soulmate, walks over to my soulmate and starts talking to her. And I don't know what my lifesaver said, but when my lifesaver got done talking to her, my soulmate looked over at me and smiled. My lifesaver came at me and was like, I talked to her for you. That's your girlfriend now. She she did what I couldn't and wouldn't do for myself and secured that relationship. She represented me. Your Savior, Jesus, did what you couldn't and wouldn't do for yourself. And he represented you, secured that relationship with God whom you were made for. And then, so my soulmate, uh, she's my girlfriend, and my lifesaver, my soulmate are over here like dancing to some song, doing things girls do together. And, and my, my lifesaver came over and grabbed me. And she pulled me over to my soulmate and she put me together. And now me and my soulmate, we dancing together. We slow dancing. We, we're not just boyfriend and girlfriend in name. We're, we're real life boyfriend and girlfriend. I'm, I'm experiencing the fireworks that is this, this relationship that my lifesaver, she, she secured for me. My lifesaver, she pulled me in and included me into that thing so that I could, I could actually experience what she had accomplished. Uh, your savior, Jesus, he pulls you in that you can actually experience what he accomplished. He, he did for you what you couldn't do for yourself and then pulled you in so you could experience it for yourself. That's what the Christian life is. My, my, I got a friend back in Lawton who, um, he's known my family uh, for longer than I was born. I think he met my mother when she was in high school. Um, so he's seen me grow up 
And when I go and visit now, he's still close with the family. So when I go visit now, he'll he'll pull me to the side and he said, hey, man, I I noticed you've grown up. You've become a great man. You take care of your family. You're living on the straight and narrow. Uh, I just want to give you props for getting your life together. I got to tell him every now and then. I couldn't do nothing for me. I was Jesus that did everything for me. What you what you're watching is is me living in what he did. Listen, you ought to stop making yourself the star of your story. Stop making your story a story about how you got your life together. No, 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 no. Uh, Psalm 118. This is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in my eyes. Next time you tell your story, just tell him for me. He was born of by the spirit for me. He was baptized by the Jordan. For me, he lived in obedience. For me, he died on Good Friday. For me, he rose on Easter Sunday. For me, he sits in the heavenly places. Look at where you were. Now look at where you are. And look at what the Lord has done. He picked you up. He turned you around. He placed your feet on solid ground. You ought to thank God. You ought to thank the master. You ought to thank the savior. Thank God. You're not a self-made man. Thank God. You're not the product of your work. Thank God. You didn't get your life together. Thank God. Thank God. This is his doing. He got your life together for you. He got life with God together for you. So you know what you ought to do? Just enjoy it. Enjoy it. We're all human here. Every now and then we'll, we'll feel this pressure to try to do some kind of work or produce some kind of product. And we think on the back end of that, then I'll have some reality of life with God that's better than what I got right now. I'll make, I'll make my life with God real once I do this stuff. I'll really be with God once I finish this stuff. Stop trying to create your own reality. He gave you one. He already gave you a reality of life with God. Just enjoy it. Christian, by faith, just enjoy it. You ought to say, Jesus did it, so I'm just going to pray. Jesus did it, so I'm just going to worship. Jesus did it, so I'm just going to serve. Jesus did it, and by faith, I'm just going to enjoy this life with God. Some of you haven't, you haven't received Jesus yet. He's saying, I want to give myself and all I've done to you. So you can enjoy life with God. A life you, you've never known. A life you can't imagine. He's saying, I'm giving myself to you. And when you accept me, you're accepting all of that. I've done it for you. There's going to be a prayer team after this. I'd love to talk to you. The prayer team would love to talk with you about what that is. Enjoy it. My, my, my prayer for us in this Christmas season and going into the new year is as we're making our resolutions and as we're thinking our thinking of how to improve next year that we not plot on how to get it together with God as if Christ hadn't already gotten it together. Let's make our resolutions and just enjoy it. Let's stand. I want to pray for you. Jesus, thank you. We're, 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 we're trophies of your grace. Yes. We're products of what you've done. Thank you. We're, we're the, your church, the church, is a, is a testimony of all of your power, of your accomplishment, of your love. 
Thank you for living in what you've, what you've done. Thank you for the free gift of salvation that's in you. Thank you for, for your initiating this. Thank you for your seeking us out, for your sustaining us, for your finishing. Thank you. Thank you. Help us to rest on you, to trust in you. Amen.